Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. My name is Daniel Rogers, and I am the minister at the North Broad Street Church of Christ in Albertville, Alabama. If you happen to be in the area, uh, by the way, we'd love to have you. We have decided for now to keep the uh, the title Church of Christ on our sign uh, because, for one, uh, we're working from the outside edge of the inside. Though we might not think that everybody else is going to hell, and though we might not uh, think that instrumental music is going to condemn some, someone forever, and while we're not going to look down on people who've been divorced and remarried, and while we're not going to do a whole lot of other things, right? Like bash people for having different understand, uh, understandings of baptism. Uh, we do maintain a lot of the uh, what, you, what you would recognize as Church of Christ traditions, and practicing baptism, and having more of an eldership style uh, leadership team and having uh, weekly communion and acapella music and things like that. Uh, though we might not be legalistic about those kinds of things, uh, we're trying to provide a space for people who are comfortable within a Church of Christ style setting, but who might be asking some pretty big questions about who is God uh, who is Jesus? Who is who actually makes up the church? Who's considered a true Christian? And so I'd like to invite you to uh, to come hang out with us or to even watch our live stream. I also want to invite you to uh, explore your area for other churches that might be like us. Uh, for example, if you go to our Facebook page and you just reach out to people uh, in the Facebook group, who knows who you might be able to find within driving distance of yourself that you could start something for yourself, or maybe start a house church, or, or maybe attend whatever church they're going to, and you just and you just didn't know they even existed. That happened for me. I lived within an hour of North Broad Street, and I didn't even know this place existed. So there you go. All right. Today's podcast is episode, solo episode 16. I do want to return to doing interviews. Um, it's been tough since having the baby, and then finishing up school, and then <laughs> taking on more responsibility at the church to be able to keep up with all that it takes uh, to get those interviewed interviews scheduled and then doing research on the person and then coming up with good questions and all that kind of stuff to make the interviews worth my time and worth your time. And so it's hard. I'd like to get back into it. I've got my eyes set on a book sitting on my desk right now, Enchanting the Text, written by Cheryl Bridges Johns. She's told me she's interested in coming on the podcast. I would love to have her. It's called uh, it's called Reenchanting the Text, and it's about uh, discovering r- discovering the Bible as sacred, dangerous, and mysterious. And I think a lot of us could use could use that. Um, I also have another guest in mind who does a lot of podcast interviews to talk about head coverings in First Corinthians eleven. I know some of you who come from a more uh, non-institutional background may experience that, and that might be some questions you have. All right, so we're working on it. Uh, just, I just got to find the time. All right. But today, in this solo episode number 16, we're going to be talking about Sabbath. And the title is, We All Need a Little More Sabbath. Some thoughts on that awkward fourth command. And this is going to be found uh, both in podcast an article form on my substack, danielcrogers.substack.com. You can read all of these articles for free. The only, th- uh, the only thing for paid subscribers is they'll get things a week earlier. 
Um, I'm trying to play catch up right now, though. I had a sinus infection go through our house, and then I had to get an upper endoscopy to check out my acid reflux. And then I had to get, what was was the other excuse I had? (laughs) Coming up with all my excuses. Oh, then I took a trip to New York for a couple days to speak on nonviolence in the book of Revelation. So that was interesting. Uh, But anyways, going to try to get back on track here. I've got, I've got, Two articles written, they just need to publish at their scheduled times. But paid subscribers get articles and podcasts a week early at 5 p.m. on that particular day, Tuesday or Thursday. Whereas the free subscribers, they get it a week following that on 5 a.m. on Tuesday or Thursday. I'm also in the process of writing a book. I've got 30-something thousand words written on it so far. And it's actually on the title of the podcast, Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. And I have, uh, I'm, my plan is for paid subscribers, and paid subscribers only in this particular situation, uh, to release chapters of the book on Fridays. And so if you want to start reading uh, this book I've been working on, on exploring faith, pursuing grace, then consider subscribing uh, f- with a paid subscription. And I'm going to be releasing the first one of those. Today's October uh, October 12th is when this podcast is getting released. So October 20th would be the first release of the, of the introduction to the book on Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. So if you want to read along as I write that and as I edit these first chapters and as I get into the flow of uh, finishing it out, then I invite you to do that. Okay, lots of announcements. Man, we usually don't give announcements. There we go. Nor do we have intro music. Guys, I just don't like intro music. I'm sorry. If, if I listen to it on a podcast, I skip it. <laughs> I hit the plus 15 yeah, two or three times to get through it. Uh, so, you know, there we go. Okay. We all need a little more Sabbath. Burnout is... Uh, it's everywhere. Let's just sit with that for a second. Is that how you feel? <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, I feel that for sure. It is all over the place. Um, I think that in our post-lockdown world... We all realized just how much we needed some time to refresh and to replenish, to find renewal. For those of us who had the privilege of staying home during the lockdown, the time we had to spend with our families was priceless. I mean, I know that's true for me and my year as a stay-at-home dad with my now three-year-old, Caden. But he was approaching one and moving into one and a half when I got to stay at home with him for a year. But for those of us who were considered essential workers with non-essential pay, our heartache for Sabbath intensified like never before. In our culture of hustle, 10x, are there any uh, Grant Co- X, Grant Cardone addicts out there? Uh, and maximum efficiency, observing the Sabbath is not an option. What deals am I missing out on? What emails are going unanswered? What if I miss that big sale, right? For business owners and people in sales, like real estate agents and insurance salesmen, these missed calls and emails are missed money and missed investments. And they actually are. If you missed that call on Saturday because you're out hiking with no service, then that really is money that is going to a competitor. So in today's podcast and article, uh, what we're going to be doing is reclaiming the Sabbath by reframing a few objections and trying to change our minds, maybe just by a little bit, on money, efficiency, and what really matters in life. First off, Sabbath is not a burden. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I always looked at the Sabbath day as as a burden. I mean, aren't you glad we don't have to do that anymore, right? I mean, they couldn't even pick up sticks on the Sabbath. And so we did things like talk about how every other of the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament, except for the fourth, 
remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Others talked about how Saturday was changed into Sunday, and so now we follow the Christian Sabbath and worship on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. But since blue laws have gone unobserved in most places, most of the people in my generation, that's like millennials, cannot fathom a time in which Waffle House would ever be closed. (laughs) If Waffle House is ever closed, you know something's about to go down. In Florida, Waffle House would stay open like during hurricanes, unless it was really, really, really bad. And then that's how you know that you probably need to leave if they closed Waffle House. So because of our constant need for financial growth uh, on one end and the constant need for instant gratification on the other, (laughs) which drives the need for financial growth, right? The Sabbath has fallen through the cracks. You got to make enough money to hit buy now on Amazon, right? So thankfully, people like Abraham Joshua Heschel in his book on the Sabbath, John Mark Comer in his popular book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and uh, the very famous and not at all controversial Rob Bell in his audiobook, Handling Your Fire, emphasized the need for us to return to Sabbath. This diverse group, plus many more authors, pastors, and speakers from a range of traditions, have pointed out some of the very things that I have about burnout and hustle culture. Sabbath, then, is far from a burden. In fact, it is a necessity for social justice, personal health, and and worship of God. So before we continue, since we're talking about observing the Sabbath, I think I need to define my terms. I'm not advocating for a religiously mandated weekly Sabbath that is observed on Saturday or, by the way, on Sunday. Romans 14 says, one person observes one day or the other. The other person observes every day alike, right? Each person is to be fully convinced in his own mind. So even if you think every day is the same, including Sunday, I'm not here to judge it, all right? I'm primarily talking about a frame of mind that shows up in intentional times of rest and disconnection from the world of work, money, phone calls, emails, stocks, appointments, stressful gatherings, etc. Right? I got a friend just the other day. He broke the rules in uh, one of the most important VBS songs that I learned growing up. And on Sunday, he ran around with a fishing rod. (laughs) For him and his work environment, I thought that was great. Your mileage may vary. So this, this day of rest might be on Saturday for you, or it could be on another day of the week. It may be, it may be, uh, it might even fit into your particular religious framework by showing on a, on a specific day like Sunday or Friday or something like that. I'm not here to force a specific day or a pattern. My job is to show you the importance of Sabbath for yourself and for others and then let you come up with what is best for you. But if you have trouble starting this sacred habit, then it may be necessary for you to pick a day that you stick by consistently. I think that's why. We have the Saturday thing in the, in the law, right? Because they're coming out of slavery. It's bricks yesterday, bricks today, bricks tomorrow. You're not going to be able to just pick up a Sabbath habit so easily, like in our culture, right? So sometimes you have to be a little bit strict. You have to say, no, Saturday, we can't, we can't touch Saturday. Even though, you know, for other people, they might be able to be like, hey, Tuesday, we're going to be chilling out this week, but then, you know, Friday is a good day next week. No, you, sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you have to stick with a hard a hard pattern so that you can learn the habit and then then you can be a little bit more malleable in the future, right? So this means what you need to do is you need to learn how to set boundaries 
for employees, clients, and even your boss. Treat the day or time as sacred and holy. All I'm asking is that you don't stone anybody. (laughs) Please, okay? (laughs) So, uh, observing the Sabbath, though, it's really an act of love, and it can be classified as social justice. A weekly mandated Sabbath, like what we see in the law, meant that the shops and fields would be closed for businesses each week. This meant intentional rest for the managers, employees, slaves, animals, and even the land itself. Speaking of the land, there were other Sabbaths than just the weekly Sabbath. If you've read or listened to my uh, book, How a 25-Year-Old Learned He Wasn't the Only One Going to Heaven, there's a whole chapter on land Sabbath, and you can listen to that or read that for free by going to um, my shop, danielcrogers.gumroad.com, and when you're checking out, simply type in the promo code EFPG, and you can read that for free. Okay, so... There were other Sabbaths than just the weekly Sabbath. In fact, there were seven, and later even more, when you got Hanukkah and uh, Esther's Feast Purim that comes up later, right? But these were times during the year when one would have guaranteed rest and time for worship. On top of these annual holidays, there was an additional time of rest for the land every seven years, as well as a year every 50 years called the year of Jubilee, in which debts would be forgiven and slaves were released. You can read all about that. In Leviticus 23 and 25. These Sabbaths were times to reflect on uh, the God who frees slaves and who gave the people their land. The land Sabbath, for example, was a time in which everyone, including the foreigners dwelling among the Israelites, could rest and enjoy what the land naturally produced. Leviticus 25, 5 and 7 says, You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the the land yields during its Sabbath, you, your male and female slaves, your hired and your bound bound laborers who live with you, for your livestock also, and for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall be for food. Everybody, from from the least of these to the greatest of these, right, could live on the land as if it was theirs. The social justice aspect of Sabbath really comes out, though, in the Minor Prophets. Uh, To those who wanted to pursue wealth, the Sabbath did seem like a burden. Uh, Listen to this rebuke of some of the merchants in Israel by Amos. He says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make uh, the ephah smaller and the shekel heavier and practice deceit, with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and selling the sweepings of the wheat. They want to know, when is this new moon stuff going to be over so that we don't have to close shop? The people who trampled on the needy through their rentless pursuit of fortune wanted to know when they could stop taking mandatory breaks from growing rich. Amos responds, On that day, says the Lord God, I'll make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts in the morning and all your songs into lamentation. I'll bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. There you go. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. In other words, the Sabbath wouldn't end until judgment came. And that's not good for anybody, right? Then there wouldn't be any buying or selling anything because they would only feel like mourning. And of course, in Amos' time, that happened uh, whenever the... uh, Assyrians marched on Israel 
in like 722-ish BC. Observing the Sabbath, though, is not only social justice, it's also a form of self-care. When Israel was in bondage in Egypt, they were forced to build storage cities for Pharaoh. As he got more and more rich, they became more and more oppressed. By the way, this Bible is so ancient, right? Who needs this stuff? <laughs> I mean, there's no widening gap between the rich and the poor today, right? Come on. You see how relevant, though, this is? I mean, seriously, you think about these stories as being ancient and way back there, but they're so relevant because they're dealing with the same stuff we deal with today. There's different, uh, you know, they, they chopped each other with swords instead of shoot, shoot each other and drop bombs on each other, but they're dealing with the same themes, oppression, widening gap between the rich and the poor, uh, lack of Sabbath. I mean, these are stuff we're all dealing with in our lives. So as Pharaoh got more and more rich, they became more and more oppressed. His anxiety which came from his worldview dominated by scarcity, that is, there's not enough for everybody, led him to exert more and more pressure on the people. Sabbath is a way to break the habit of working until one is burned out. In Israel, every person was to rest on the Sabbath, not just the rich and not just those who are free. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughters, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. This pattern of Sabbath, Moses goes on to tell the people, comes from creation itself. God worked for six days and rest of the seventh, so why shouldn't we? In fact, Sabbath is all around us in creation. As we go through the seasons, we witness death and resurrection, fall and spring. Squirrels work to store their nuts for the winter before resting, and bears hibernate. Cats take their naps, and the rains come and go. And all living things inhale and exhale. We trade our carbon dioxide for the plant's oxygen. Breathe in, breathe out. We can only hold our breath for so long before needing to exhale or inhale. So why do we think we can live by working 24-7, always on call, always busy? See, Sabbath is like inhaling. We must replenish and recharge in order to survive. But unfortunately, we live in a world of constant contact. We must always be ready to answer texts and calls. We must always be ready to take an order or talk to a client or fill out paperwork. But even Jesus needed Sabbath. And Jesus didn't find his Sabbath in the temple or in the synagogue. Instead, he retreated to the deserted places found in gardens on mountaintops or by the sea to rest and pray. The question is, are you and I better than Jesus? Do we have more energy and willpower than the Messiah? So why do we think we can get away without Sabbath? Of course, Sabbath is also a time to worship God. Yes, we get together on Sundays and worship in our house churches and congregations, but we also worship daily. Paul told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. He told the Colossians that whatever they did in word or deed was to be done as if it was for God. He told the Romans that their lives were holy sacrifices and spiritual services of worship. The only time worship service, by the way, shows up in a new covenant context is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Tell that to your minister who thinks that worship has to be done with five steps and five acts. Those quiet times of Sabbath that we take throughout the week are times we get to spend alone with God. We may pray audibly or silently. We may meditate. We may go on a mindful hike or spend time near or maybe on in the water. But regardless of what we do, we should treat these moments as sacred and holy. These moments that are holy remind us of something important. Everything is spiritual. 
Sabbath ought to show up in every aspect of our lives, from how we carry ourselves to how we move about to how we open doors. There's no need to rush through life because all things belong to us, as Paul told the Corinthians. This kind of mindfulness is a reflection of our total dependence upon God, something I'll talk about here in a second. So let's reframe a few objections, okay? Because first off, let's just admit, before I even read this next part, um, taking daily or taking a day each week to practice Sabbath is a privilege. Not everybody has the flexibility to be able to do that because of working multiple jobs. So I get that. So we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, a little bit about that as we move on. All right. <clears throat> so here's a few objection, objections, and now I've reframed them uh, so that I can think about my priorities a little bit differently. So first off, scarcity. This is the first major objection. If we don't work one day of the week, and that includes answering emails, texts, and calls, then what we miss out on potential sales, clients, customers, etc. Right? You can fill in the blanks here, but with the blank the way that it is, what if blank? That is, with the economy the way that it is, with the job market the way that it is, with the inflation, with the with the stock market, etc., 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 then what if I miss out down the road? What if I don't get enough during that season or whatever it is, right? So the basic fear is that we need to all we need to get all that we can get now, right? Whenever we can get it, because the possibility of of uh, total economic collapse is always on the horizon, and there won't be enough to go around. In other words, food, money, clothing, water, and shelter are all scarce. It's every man for himself. If you're not first, you're last. It's a dog eat dog world. <laughs> I remember I used to say a dog eat dog world. <laughs> The Bible actually addresses this objection in a couple different ways. Scarcity, for example, fueled the anxiety and therefore the brutality of Pharaoh. And so when Moses brings his people out of Egypt and instructs him to observe the Sabbath, including the Sabbath year, he offers this bit of comfort. Should you ask, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will order my blessing for you in the sixth year, so that we yield a crop for three years. And when you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating from the old crop until the ninth year. When, it produce, when its produce comes in, you shall eat the old. The land shall not be sold in uh, perpetuity, for the land is mine, and with me you are but aliens and tenants. Leviticus 25, 20-23. Jesus also addresses the fear of scarcity in his Sermon on the Mount. After depicting a kind of kingdom that doesn't win food and resources through violence, Jesus answers the unspoken objection. But what if if we don't wage war against Rome, how will our families eat? What will we wear? Jesus' lengthy response, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, well, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For this, for it is the Gentiles who seek all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Matthew 6, 25-34. The fear of scarcity then comes from a belief that there isn't enough to go around. It comes from the view that God created a world where not everyone can have food and the resources they need to survive. It's a worldview, by the way, that denies people of their daily bread out of fear that you won't get your daily bread, which is wrong. This worldview causes people to hoard money and resources. CEOs get a million-dollar salary increase while their employees are barely getting by on a poverty wage. If people would embrace the Sabbath and all of its implications, the world would be a better place. I remember one time an Amazon employee complaining online. Uh, these people getting their checks on uh, unemployment, and I'm sitting here working and making less than they are. And somebody was like, dude, you're, you're upset because people are getting unemployment checks in a time of crisis. Uh, you're, you're upset at them, and you're not upset at the fact that the richest person in the world is not paying you a, a living wage. Like, come on, be mad at that guy. That's who James was mad at. James said, listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cry and, and their cries of, of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have nourished your hearts in a day of slaughter. And he warns them, hey, you are storing up wrath for yourself, buddy. Another objection that we have, and this is a huge objection, is I don't have time. So it's, it's related to the idea of scarcity, right? I don't have time for the Sabbath. But if you're tempted to make that excuse, take some time to consider how you generally spend your days. If you were to add up all the little, all the little breaks during your day to send a Snapchat or to check social media <clears throat> or to play chess, which is what I end up doing, <laughs> playing uh, blitz and bullet games on the commode, that's not good, uh, then there might potentially be an entire day of rest waiting for you after you balance the books. Or maybe you can't find the whole day. But could you find 40 minutes each day? Maybe, maybe 20 minutes of meditation or quiet time in the morning and in the evening. Uh, those, those add up to about four and a half hours. Could you knock out your Sunday meal prep in that amount of time? Or could you do your chores within four hours on Saturday? Whatever you might be doing on your off days that is necessary, like housework, could be made up for by spending a little time each day during the week. But let's challenge this whole idea of not having enough time first. The truth is you can't afford to not take time off for Sabbath. In other words, Sabbath should be at the top of our priorities, not something we do if we happen to have the time. And because with that mindset, you'll never have the time, right? There's an old story about a man who procrastinated chopping, procrastinated chopping wood for the winter. When he grabbed his axe, he noticed it was a bit dull, but he didn't think he would have time to sharpen it and fell the amount of trees necessary for a safe and cozy winter. So he chopped away, but even though he got to work sooner, he wasn't able to finish the job. Had he taken the time to sharpen the axe, he would have been much more efficient and could have gotten enough wood. So we have to sharpen the axe. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Even though he said this, we add so many burdens that aren't necessary to have life to the fullest. Spiritual burdens and temporal burdens, right? We have to learn to embrace this rest that's available 
to us. And this means following Jesus' footsteps into the deserted places, the mountaintops and beside the sea. It means sharing a meal with your friends and worshiping together. If Jesus needed prayer in a garden to face the cross, why do we think that we can get by without these quiet moments? Okay, so one last objection that may, uh, may come up, right? Well, the Sabbath, Daniel, along with the whole law, was nailed to the cross. And since the nine commandments are repeated in the New Testament, that's the commandments we keep, but we don't keep that dastardly old Sabbath that gets in the way of my college football games or whatever. Okay, again, I'm not talking about a rule that you must keep every week on a specific day to be right with God. Of course, I don't think that was the point of the original Sabbath command. Anyways, Paul said, Romans 14, 5, like we've already mentioned, some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let us all be fully convinced in our own minds. So while I personally worship on Sunday, along with most of the Christian world, I don't even think that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. My point is that Sabbath is necessary for you to truly live. This can be a specific day, or it can be time you take off once a month. It can even be quiet time each day. Whatever that looks like for you, prioritize Sabbath and make time for everything else. Spend time with your family and friends. Find a hobby like hiking or kayaking through a place doom-scrolling social media. Not that social media is inherently bad, by the way, although it has, you know, it does contribute to teenagers' anxiety, right? But if you can take the time for silent meditation, that's great. But if you're like me and have two toddlers, then your Sabbath time might look a little different. Here's a little lecture for you, okay? In the Church of Christ, this is like separate discussion, but fun. In the Church of Christ, we've generally assumed that the law was nailed to the cross because of passages like Colossians 2.14 and the good old King James Version, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, Colossians 2.14, in the authorized version. The problem with this is that the Jewish believers were still zealous for the law. In Acts 21.20, Paul himself observed and guarded the law. Uh, in check out verse 24. Instead of reading the handwriting of ordinances that was against us as the law, check out these other translations. Let's start with uh, the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition. Erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. New American Standard 95, uh, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And English Standard Version, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Okay, The law wasn't nailed to the cross. Instead, it was our record of debt, or our IOU. In other words, it was our sins that were nailed to the cross. Jesus was a Jew. Paul, Peter, and James were Jews. They kept the law. They worshipped in the synagogue, celebrated the feast days in Jerusalem. While the Gentile converts had a different relationship to the law, the Jewish believers were still zealous for the Old Covenant, albeit in a transformed way. The Sabbath wasn't nailed to the cross, but the Sabbath was fulfilled in Jesus. In Him, we have ultimate rest. But some of us, oh, some of us need to get out of our own way. I know this because I have a hard time of getting out of my own way too. Let's reclaim the Sabbath. Not as a Hebrews 10.25 style ordinance, but as a life-giving rhythm which sustains us and empowers us to be the people that God has called us to be. Mindful, generous, humble, trusting, and loving. You can read this article for yourself and share it with a friend on danielcrogers.substack.com. Consider becoming a paid subscriber today. Have a great day and God bless.